There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Rule the World, the art and power of storytelling. Storytelling is what connects us as humans. And for brands, it is no different. A well-told story can effectively position your brand in the minds and hearts of your audience and can convert thoughts and feelings into results and revenue. On this show, we dive into the unique and recurring principles of world-class storytellers from every walk of life to help you level up your storytelling skills and knowledge to drive real, measurable results for you and your organization. Here's your host, Paul Furlong. Hello and welcome to Rule the World, the art and power of storytelling. My name is Paul Furlong, Creative Director at Opus Media, and I imagine you're listening to this podcast because you know the power of storytelling. And I want you to bring that power to your own writing with Roger Shulman at thewritercoach.com. Roger's unique coaching method connects your personal story to whatever you're writing, giving it heart and depth. The result? Your presentation, website copy, keynote address or screenplay becomes compelling, entertaining and persuasive. Roger is the winner of a British Academy Award and nominee for the Oscar and the Emmy. So go to thewritercoach.com and schedule a free discovery session. Let Roger bring the Hollywood to your writing. Today's guest is Martin Brooks. Martin is an impactologist. And this was a new term to me, so rather than me introduce Martin, I'd like to welcome you to the show, Martin, and ask you to describe to us what an impactologist is. Well, thank you. It's great to be here and great to be with a like-minded community who understand the power of stories and want to leverage them in the best way that they can. And that really is one of the things that really is a pillar of impact. It's thinking about, well, what's going to make the difference? We live in a highly competitive society and business is always competitive. You will always have competitors. And what are the things that are going to give you an extra chance to be successful, create that impact? And I'd always been interested in that. I had a sales and sales leadership background prior to setting up my own training and development business 17 years ago, back in 2002. And I'd always been a classic soft skills trainer, so sales, negotiation, presentation. 
I'm working with my own business. I also started working with larger training companies. And about 12 years ago, one company that I worked with had a lot of contracts in executive education. So London Business School was one. And they had a module, this is at least 12 years ago, where they, they called it personal impact. We probably call it personal branding now. And that brought together, that session brought together all of the things that I was interested in and always been looking for that competitive advantage in. So it was body language, it was voice, it was using rhetorical language, it was being able to handle the nerves, the performance anxiety, and still being able to peak perform. And then in formulating a number of years ago, my own business and wanting to really drive what I was passionate about, what I realized was that I wanted to bring everything I had together and be an expert in, in one thing. And as it was impact, and it was that competitive advantage that came from communicating better and stories being one of the elements of that, then it just seemed to me like a natural progression to term the, the term impactologist. And that's what I then formulated, trademarked here and in the US, and I've been using that as my branding going forward. That's brilliant. I, I, I love that. I love that the phrase that you've come up with there in the, the study of impact. Um, and I've seen you uh, at work on the Discovery Channel uh, yeah. when you were uh, analyzing Mark Zuckerberg's US Senate appearance last year. Yeah. Um, and he's a really interesting bloke. Um, but watching you break down his performance was genuinely fascinating to me. Um, and seeing how he controlled everybody in the room because that was interesting in itself, but just watching you break him down and how he did everything, what he'd been coached in, was, yeah. was really, really interesting. And the, the advantage of coaching other people in this kind of stuff is then you can see the evidence of it when somebody does it. And even by his own admission, he's not a natural storyteller. He's not a natural communicator. So there wasn't that kind of flow to it. So it was easier to spot the steps and the things that he'd been told to do. I mean, Clearly, number one, don't go to the U.S. Senate in a hoodie and a T-shirt. You know, just the fact that he that he walked in in a suit, you know, with suit and tie. And just uh, as you may re recall, just the way he walked in and he stopped and he looked everybody in the eye, just that, that whole ownership thing. All of that you could clearly see. Well, that's that's exactly what I would have told him to do. So you can kind of see him going through those those motions. And that's what I call thin slicing. You know, I love just going through some of the best storytellers in the world, the best communicators in the world, the best salespeople in the world, and be able to break it down, to be able to thin slice. Okay, so to this point, that's what happened. At this point, that's what happened. Uh, to, to understand it for myself, just for my own fascination, but then in my coaching and, and training practice, to be able to coach uh, people going into uh, sales pitches, preparing for a keynote, and to give them those little tools and techniques, and then coach them how to make them make them real, make them authentic, to give them that competitive advantage in those sales pitching or keynoting scenarios. So from a kind of a big picture point of view, when you're doing that thin slicing, mm. what would you say were the things that the best communicators in the world do to be able to convince, influence and motivate? I think the big thing that, that they're able to do is there's clarity on three things. The first thing is their objective. What do they want to happen? What do they want to happen? How do they, what's the result that they're looking for? When that call to action comes, they're clear on what it is and they're clear on what's gonna happen, what they want to happen at the end of it. Then, then with a little bit of reverse engineering, they go, now who's my audience and where are they now? 
Who's my audience and where are they now? And a real assessment of those two key points, because that helps drive the third thing. And that third thing then is now, what do I need to do? Which version of my story? How do I need to acknowledge this audience's concerns to get them from A to B? And in fact, one speech that I've spent, I put a whole day course on, which was, you know, communicating difficult messages, was a Bill Clinton speech. And this was back prior to the Iraq war, where the the war hadn't started. It was very unpopular in this country. It was very unpopular within the Labour Party itself, who tended to be, you know, kind of less uh, militaristically driven, shall we say. And Tony Blair was really floundering and getting the relevant support that he thought he needed. So what did he do? He drafted in his friend, Bill, who was out of power at that time, but still a major player in the world scene. I think you can still argue that today. And Bill Clinton gives this speech to the Labour Party conference. And those three points were so clear because he understood where that audience was. And like probably 70 to 80 percent of that audience didn't want to hear what he had to say. But the way that he turned them around, the way they acknowledged their point of view, the way that he used humor, the stories that he tell, the little, all the little pieces from his, his, his emotional lip bite to his change of speed and tone of voice. And it, whether you agree or disagree with the actual message, it's an absolute masterclass of taking an audience from point A to point B because you know exactly what the gap is and how to be able to turn it around. And and literally go through that and thin slice that and go, that's what he just did there. That's what he just did there. That's what he just did there. Is is that speech online? Can we find that? Is it on YouTube anywhere? Yeah, I've I've got a clip of it. It's it's quite old. I haven't tried to find it on YouTube, but I'm 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 sure you know with a bit of uh, research, we one could come across it. But uh, yeah, if if not, I'll I'll see if I can get a copy of it to you. Brilliant, thank you. And so um, you mentioned that within his speech, he told a number of stories. Mm. So how do stories fit into this? Um, convincing, influencing, and motivating it, us? Oh, completely, because it's, it's, the, it's the old idea, you know, grab somebody's heart and their head will follow. So the, I remember seeing a, a, a talk um, at a big industry conference and some Gartner research was, 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 was spoken about. I'm 99% sure it was Gartner. And they'd done some research on decision-making on C-suite executives. And it was in the upper 80s when they asked some C-suite executives about how they made decisions. And they looked at all the evidence, but they said, upper 80s of themselves said, we've still made those decisions based on my gut, you know, gut instinct. Now, if you think about gut instinct, well, that's, that's not the statistics. That's not the spreadsheets. That's not the facts and the figures. And of course, those are required to be able to validate the decision. But the decisions are based emotionally. And if you take that as your starting point, the decisions are made emotionally first and then ratified with logic second. I mean, the numbers have got to be there. But you get that you get that emotional buy-in. Then you go, well, this sounds like a great idea. Give me the evidence to back it up and then we can continue on that decision. So storytelling really does fall into that capturing people's hearts. That idea of being able to, of emotionally buying in and then go, okay, You've got me. Now give me the numbers to help me get over the line so that I, I can see the business case. I can see the return on investment. I can see how this helps me make money in business. Give me that and we're there. 
So that absolutely comes into that process. So if then it's about well, storytelling works, but then it's about what stories, how do you tell them, where do you put them in, how do you effectively weave them into a business presentation without looking like, why are you talking about topic X when we're supposed to be here to make a hard business decision? So then all those other elements come in, not if we tell a story, but for me, it's always about how we tell a story, what story to tell, and where does it fit? Those are the key things for me that I work on. Well, shall we work through that? Do you, do you want to start with how we tell a story? Yeah. Well, I think storytelling is it's a it's a different feel. It's a different process to uh, a business presentation when you're walking through a, a business case, and there's a different voice that goes with it. There's there's different tonality that goes with it. There's different. You're looking to stimulate emotions, so there has to be emotion in the voice. For example, when you're when you're telling it. Some of the, the greatest storytellers in the world, they will use the full variety of, of the voice. So they will, they will slow down to make a particular point. They'll maybe go a little bit quieter at that point. But then, of course, when you get to the exciting crescendo, and this is the thing that actually happened, then, of course, speed and, and pitch are, are, will all change. You'll have that emotional variety so that it's always clear to the audience how they should feel. Because it's there not only in the content of the story, but also in the delivery of the story, the body language, the facial expressions, the, the voice, the tone, the pitch, the speed. And all, a good storyteller will know it's, it's like, a, like a piano. They know the full keys and then they're playing the right keys, the right chords at the right time to be able to create the right sound. And that sound effect is that the person who's receiving it is going, yes, I understand that. I've got it. You know, and, and to be taken along those that decision-making path. So the how is, is very much the, d the delivery and utilizing all the leverages that you have in terms of body language if you're in front of people, but certainly the voice in terms of how that voice needs uh, to vary and choosing choosing the right words like like dream, inspire, motivate, all of, all of the more emotional words that perhaps would have a higher prevalence than you would necessarily in a more business-oriented part. So the language needs to change as well. So bringing together stories are, are, are different than uh, the, perhaps all the standard parts of a business presentation, and therefore the rules shift slightly. So you need to be able to understand those rules, hit those right keys to get the right message across. Is there anyone that you can think of who does this particularly well? Oh, there's, there, there's loads of people. And if you look at, um, at any TED Talk, I think I read an article a while ago. I said, well, the most best received TED Talk was actually three six-minute stories. <laughs> and, and, and it was a, a guy, I can't remember his name now, but he was, um, he, he was talking about his charity initiative. And then there was like this key measurable, but within half an hour of him finishing this TED Talk, there was X amount of million dollars pledged into you know, this particular charity. It was like, well, there you go. You want an ROI? There's one very, very clear there. But certainly the, the, the best communicators in, in the world will, will tell stories. And uh, I can't help but notice the Obama book that's above your head on the, on the top of your, of your bookshelf and how his fired up, ready to go story. I mean, again, I use that as a masterclass in terms of because it quite literally, that story, that moment, his, his retelling and retelling of that story quite literally change the world so if you if you were going to refer your viewers anywhere it would be on obama's the source and his telling of the fired up ready to go story he he was such a master at 
um, the, the pause as well, wasn't he? And it seems like as he's got gone over time, the pause has got longer. <laughs> uh, and he just leaves the the silence to hang that little bit longer over time. Yeah. Um, just for people to take in what it is that he's saying. Keegan-Michael Key did that so well with um, President Obama at the White House Correspondents' Dinner when mm. he was pretending to be um, Obama's anger translator. There's, right, um, right. There's a great clip online uh, where the whole of that um the whole of that performance is uh, is played out. Uh, you can find that on YouTube if you have a look on uh, yeah, online yeah. for that. It's uh, it's absolutely brilliant. He gets his pauses exactly the same as Obama. Uh, it's well worth looking up because um, obviously people have picked up on those pauses as a thing already. Yeah. Um, well worth yeah. having a look for that online as well. And the the pauses have a lot of functions, and it is interesting that the more credible speakers just seem to really own that pause you know and it's and, and, and nobody's thinking has he forgotten what he's going to say or did, 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 did has she lost her train of thought you know no, nobody thinks that there's, there's that that moment of of drama and and functionality as well so for example one rhetorical technique known as the rhetorical question for example you you need the appropriately length pause in there in order for it actually to work so, for example, if you were using a story in a presentation and you used your rhetorical question to, to bridge out of the story back to the business presentation, you might say something like, so you may be wondering why I've just told you that story. Well, the reason I told you that story was, and I've measured it out and played around with it and used a physical action to create the, the appropriate timeline and looked at how other people did. And I've worked it out over a lot of research, but 2.6 seconds is the right time for that pause. Long enough to draw people in, but not long enough that people go, he doesn't know the answer to his question or it's a genuine question that people actually start saying things. So there's, there, there is a science to it. There's also an art to it. And combining art and science, that's where the fun happens. How can we get better at rhetoric, body language, word choice, tone, gesture, emotion? What can we do to improve upon that? How can we learn it better? How can we practice it more? What's the best way to improve upon that? Yeah. The big pressure when I talk to people who are creating presentations, it's content. Their focus is almost, you know, 90, 95% on content. And then you say, well, so what thoughts have you given to your vocal delivery or your your body language or the stories that you're going to tell or how to bridge from one slide to another? And uh, you just get people looking at you blankly and the delivery part of it, all those different elements that you talked about are, are really do add to the content. Of course, you've got to have great content, but then. Let's assume that everybody else you're up against also has great content. How do you possibly differentiate if all of your content is similar? You know, people buy from people. They're going to buy from the people who tell the best stories and put that message across. So the first thing is to recognize the value of non-content preparation. Recognize the value of non-content preparation. And then go, okay, right. So I'm still going to put all of that effort that I put into content. But now when I've done that and I've got great content, then I think about how do I deliver that particularly well. So, you know, there's lots of resources available to people in terms of those key pillars. So body language, what do you look like? Hand gestures, stance, facial expressions, sound, the sound of your voice. You know, has it got that confident resonance to it? 
Are you, if you're telling a story where people need to be excited, do you sound excited? And you may, you don't need to necessarily be an expert, but certainly one of the best things to do to raise awareness is to stick your, your smartphone on a tripod, record your presentation or, and your story. And looking at that, analyze it. Would you buy from that person? Put yourself in the fly on the wall position. Where are the areas where you're lacking that, that credibility? Is it body language? Is it voice? On listening back to yourself, do you realize you've used a lot of weaker words like try, hopefully, ought to, should, as opposed to more confident words like goal, aim, plan, we're confident, we're aiming to. Just that self-analysis around which areas leap out at you in terms of that would reduce your credibility. Maybe a high level of errs or ums, for example. The, the big thing is to raise the awareness of non-content importance. Focus on that, and then you can start to look at what coaching or training do I need to be able to, to focus on those. I can't tell you the number of senior executives I've coached over the years where I've pointed out a bad habit. And it could be body language, it could be voice, it could be high levels of erring or umming or sticking their hands in their pockets and playing with their loose change. All sorts of feedback I've given to people over the years where they've said, why has nobody told me that in the last 30 years of my of my career? And then when I show them it back on video and they go, oh my God, I'm doing that stuff and that would really reduce my credibility. And nobody's told me before. So raising the awareness is number one. Then number two is what do you do differently about it? So what are the replacement activities? It's it's one thing to say to your brain, stop doing something, but the most effective way of stopping doing something, in my view, has always been an alternative. So rather than saying, um, what is my alternative behavior? How do I replace that with something that's much more impactful? So I think the, the answer then is raise the level of, of awareness of the non-content stuff. Do a self-assessment in terms of we can all do that with our with our phones these days. And then go find the resources, the coach, the books, the videos, the TED Talks, uh, the, the people like myself who, who do this for a living to get that coaching, to get that training, to get that input. If it's important enough to really raise your game on that level of it, then make the investment in terms of the time and the money to be able to create that competitive advantage for yourself to be able to communicate with more passion, with more energy and to create better results. That's really good advice. Thank you for that. No problem. Um, so we've talked about... Um, how to tell a good story. How, how do you go about collecting the right stories so that you've got a range of stories to tell in, in the right instance? Mm. Uh, this, this is a really interesting question and I, I talk about it quite a lot. And the brain basically is like a muscle. The more you exercise anything, the stronger it gets. So my brain is on constant story collection. So... I was doing another interview a few months ago for a podcast and uh, the person said to me, the interviewer said to me, gosh, you've just rattled off, you know, three or four different stories that were all perfectly linked to the point that we wanted to make. I mean, how, how, do, you, how do you gather them? And I said, well, actually, one of them was just this morning. So I was just flicking through Twitter. There was a little clip of Keanu Reeves, who was vo voicing one of the characters from the new Toy Story movie. Now, he wasn't just standing speaking into a microphone. He was physically doing all the actions of his character because the question to me was, you know, does body language matter 
when you're sitting on the phone or you know you're talking to a client on Skype without the video on, et cetera. And I was going, absolutely. And if you look at the best storytellers, the best developers of of the voice through that medium, you will notice that they do do that. In fact, this morning I was just scrolling through, and and I said, you know, that's so my brain is just conditioned. Isn't you know I know the points that I want to make, and it's almost like I'm always looking for little stories, little vignettes. Little thirty-second versions of something that would just make that point. You go, oh, that's fresh, that's new. Because for me, as a storyteller, one of the things that I find interesting is telling new versions of stories or telling new stories. I don't want to be one of those people. I think this is one of the things, one of the mistakes that people make with stories. Think I must have my story, the story, and then I will tell that story over and over and over again, no matter what the the, the point is. And I think that we may well have that default story about who we are, why we exist, and what we offer. But you want as many different versions of stories that make smaller points as well, as well as that big story and not overuse that one story. And the more stories you have, the better you can then pick the right story for the particular point that you're looking to get across as opposed to, well, I've got my story. Now, how do I kind of shoehorn and make that relevant to the question I've just been asked or the client objection that I've, that I've got or that point that I want to make in that keynote? So you, it's a lot easier to... Well, if you're get constantly gathering stories to make them more tailored to the point that you want to make to that audience that's in that room, come back to that point to get the call to action, the, the result that you want. And so from that bank of stories that you've created, how do you pick the right story for the right moment? If, uh, it, it's, a, it's a great question. And one I'd love to have a very scientific answer to. Uh, and this is this just, it's just come, for me, it's just come from experience. It's just the more you do it, the more you just, you just kind of respond. It's a, it's a little bit like, you know, a cat runs out in front of you in the road when you're doing 40 miles an hour and you hit the brakes and somebody says, well, why did you do that? I go, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of one of those things that I've just trained my brain. I wish there was a, a methodology to it, but I think it's just, it's, it's for me, I think it must be just coming from experience, just having that thought process. Okay. Storytelling works. The science is there, you know, the, the neural coupling, people can see all that kind of stuff happening. The storyteller and the story and the story receivers, their brains sync. All that argument's done. The core question then is about how do we do it and how do we do it really, really well, as, as opposed to shall we? Of course, yes, that question's been answered. And making that conscious decision. Storytelling works. I want to have more than one story. I'm con- just just constantly looking for little stories, little moments that will just relay that message. Because for me personally, it's boring telling the same story all over again. And I like making that connection and having that bit of originality. Because you know, if you make if you're just making up your own stories, there's nothing worse than going to a, a conference and see three or four keynote. Uh, speakers tell the same Steve Jobs story. <laughs> it's just like, okay, we've we kind of heard that story before. There's, you know, yes, it's a great story, but it's been overused and overtold and used to create three or you know to back up three or four different arguments. Like, give me something new, give me something different. And for me, that that's a competitive advantage where you're telling a story that nobody's heard before, and that doesn't have to be a big blockbuster story, but it's something that makes that emotional connection with the audience illustrates the point that you want to make and maximizes the chance of people then taking the action that you'd, you'd hope for. So when we've, we've picked the story from our bank of stories, generally mm. when we're telling a story, well, all the time when we're telling a story, we're always in front of somebody because there's always an audience for a story. Yeah. And when we're in a business context, there's usually a little bit of pressure on us, isn't there? Because 
we might be telling it to some colleagues um, to get across a, an idea uh, or a new uh, a new thing that we're going to try and get done in our in our world in our team, or we might be presenting in front of some clients or or trying to uh, prospect for a new client. So there's always yep. an element of pressure when we're telling a story within a business context. Mm. So how can we boost our confidence when we're under pressure? Yeah, I think the, the first thing is is just that piece around confidence or nervousness about telling a story. And there needs to be that ownership. It's like a, my, my brother-in-law, who's quite a good rugby player, said, you know, you can never go into a rugby tackle half-hearted or you're going to get hurt. If you tackle somebody half-heartedly, you're going to get hurt. Yeah, it has to be that full commitment. So whatever you need to do to go, you know what? I've done the research, the preparation, the planning. This is the right story to tell in this presentation, in a business context, and to be able to own it. Because you, if you do something like you know, like storytelling or joke telling half-heartedly, it almost never <laughs> works. You know, because there isn't that ownership. And in a business context where people have to shift gears, if you like, from the business logic, finance, return on investment into that more uh, storytelling receiving mode, then A, you've got to own it. And B, then there's that question about, well, how do you do that? How do you flag? It's really important to be able to flag to a business audience. Literally, I'm about to move from a business presentation into a story to illustrate my business point, what I call the, the bridge in. Because not only does it give you that ownership of I'm about to tell a story, but also it allows them that that awareness. We're moving from one style of communication to another and it changes their brain chemistry so they're more receptive to it. So that's very, very, very important as opposed to going through a business presentation and then people going, this is a story. This is a bit weird. How, how does that fit? I'm, I, so I'm sorry, I wasn't ready, quite ready for that. I needed some sort of uh, prep. So that's something that I feel is really important in a business context, particularly you know, what I call the bridge in. You move from a standard business presentation into uh, a story and you can take people easily with you on that journey through an effective, what I call a bridge in. Can you tell us a bit more about that bridge in, how, how we get into, into the story? Yeah. Uh, so if you think about, you know, the storytelling of our, of our childhoods, or, are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. You know, and just, that, just those phrases or, or once upon a time, it's, it's no coincidence that, you know, stories start with these phrases just to get us into that, you know, receptive mode. We, we know exactly what's about to happen. We're, we're, we're familiar with it and our brain kicks over into that different gear. Now, of course, those phrases aren't going to work in a business context. You know, are you sitting comfortably? You know, then I'll begin. Uh, un, unless, you know, you're, you've got real faith in your comic ability to be able to carry that off, which I would caution against. In a business context, so you might be talking about a particular issue and you might just find, well, you know, this scenario reminds me of an example that we had a number of years ago. And actually, there's a, there's a really interesting little story here about how this happened. So it can be that flag. It's a, I'm going to tell you a story, but it's a business context. But, you know, shift gears, you know, be, be aware of that. So this reminds me of a time when. Let me just tell you a quick story about this. So a little flag like that, a little a little bridge. And this reminds me of a time. Or, le, or let me just tell you a story about a scenario that was just like this. Or I'm reminded of the parallels between this scenario and something else that happened. Let me just t tell you a story. Or maybe if the story isn't a business case, you can go, you, you could do a bridge like, 
Let me just go left field here for a second and talk about content that's not relevant. But the theme and the message of this story is entirely relevant to the challenges that we're facing. So, and then you're in. So there can be, depending upon the story, depending upon the context, you know, you can look at those relevant uh, bridges. You know, this, this reminds me of a time when we, this isn't the first time that something like this happened. Uh, a parallel example was, or this, is, this actually isn't about business, but the, the moral of this particular story, I think is really relevant. Indulge me for two minutes. Let me just tell you this story. And so if we're bridging in, do we need to bridge out the other side? Absolutely. Absolutely. So there needs to be that bridge out. So that key bridge out, if you're going to take people on that journey here, we're going to go, particularly if you're going to go left field, you're going to be talking about content that on the face of it isn't relevant to the business presentation, then absolutely people need to be brought to that conclusion, that key message. So that's really, really important for that reason that there's a bit, there was actually, because they might, you know, if it's a good story and if it's well told, you know, then their their brains are going to go off into that storytelling receiving mode. Now you've got to kind of snap them back into the into the business mode. Apart from anything else, if you've, the more effectively you do that, the more effectively you take them out. So a yes, of course, is very important. And that begs the second question: Well, how do you do that? So the in in storytelling, so the moral of the story is. Are the point of that story. So to be clear, the reason I was telling that story was what that story shows us is, and then to be able to then bring it back to the to the business context. And I talked about the Barack Obama fired up you know, story, and his bridge was was very simple, very straightforward. Now here's the point of that story. Now it shows you that, and then it creates creates that bridge into those key messages and hammers and hammered that home very, very effectively. Can you remember any of the Obama uh, fired up talk? Can you give us an example from that? Oh, yeah, sure. So, I mean, I, I can tell you the whole thing. Okay, <laughs> like brilliant. They pretty much know it <laughs> word for word. Um, well, the, the basic, so from a business context, it's actually a really good case study as well. So uh, what was the outcome? The outcome was he wanted to win the election. Uh, he was had a lot with three major disadvantages: age, political experience, and his ethnicity. He's up against you know a, a war hero, an extremely experienced uh, political person who held within great respect, actually not only within the the Republicans but actually quite a lot of Democrats who had a lot of positive things to say about John McCain, his adversary at that point in time. So from a strategy point of view, it's like, wow, I've got a lot to compete with. And I, I don't tick a lot of those particular boxes. So one of the big issues, well, if I can get lots of people who normally don't vote to vote, then I've got a better chance. So voter apathy. And you look at any major elections and the turnouts are, are, are pretty scary in democracy. Sometimes they're as low as mid 30s or high, high 40s, you know, literally half the electorate don't vote. So if you take that idea that if you could get the half of the electorate to don't vote to not to who no, don't normally vote to vote, and everybody else who's previously voted votes the way that they do, you'd win by a landslide. So that was like there's a lot to play for. So the thing was about well, how do I combat voter apathy? So that was the the thought, and possibly while he had that thought, then he had this experience of going to this place and turning up, and there's only 20 people there. And I strongly advise that people go and, and watch Obama tell this story uh, so well. 
But that idea, he walks into the room, there's 20 peeps going, what the hell am I doing here? And then this lady you know, sh- uh, uh, shouts out, uh, fired up. And everybody in the room shouts, fired up. Then she goes, ready to go. And everybody shouts, ready to go. And this continues in Obamistan. And they're going, what the hell is going on? And this lady lost her mind, but everybody else seems to be doing things. So he's telling this story. And there's this wonderful point where his, where his voice changes. And he goes, but after about a minute or two, I started to keep feeling kind of fired up. And I started to feel like I was ready to go. And even after that day, I'd say to my staff, I'd say, hey, boss, you, you all fired up? i say, yeah, are you ready to go? And then he, he, the story then, the story itself then starts to build this momentum. So there's an event, there's a story. Okay, it only affected 20 people, but then the value became the retelling of that story and how it connected to voter apathy. And he then makes the point, you know, so that, 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 vo- that, his, that bridge out was that, so here's the point of the story now. If one voice can change a room, it can change a city. And if it can change a city, it can change a state. If it can change a state, it can change a country. If it can change a country, it can change the world. Your voice can change the world. Boom, voter apathy disappears. Oh my goodness, I have the power to change the world. And he had unprecedented uh, amounts of people, certainly the youth vote, people who would never normally vote, particularly in America, in their in their millions and swept to a landslide victory, even though on paper for those three disadvantages that I I mentioned, particularly against the candidate he won, he, he should never have won on paper, but he did in a, he did in a landslide. That would be a lot of it was down to that. He'd be talking about I think we said at the start, where's your audience? They don't care. What do you want them to do to vote? How do you do that? And that compelling, fired up, ready to go story. A lot of his success can be attributed down to that to handling that key thing, voter apathy. So for your audience, then that question is, what's the key issue? Where, where is this audience at the start? Where do I need to get them to at the end? What's the best story for me to be able to tell, to be able to handle those that key issue or issues around why they don't want to do what it is that I'm suggesting? And then to be able to tell that and bridge in and bridge out. So Obama's bridge out was, so here's the point of the story now. It shows you that. So a very clear bridge out and that connection to the message, to the, the key message of dealing with voter apathy, and uh, the rest is history, as they say. Amazing, amazing story, amazing rhetoric, fantastic. So, just a few quick fire questions, if that's okay, Martin. Sure. Before we go, I'd love for you to tell us who you think of when you hear the word story and why you think of that person. Gosh, well, that's interesting. The first person that came to my mind was actually Peter Jackson. Uh, who, who brought the the whole uh, t- uh, stories alive, Lord Lord of the Rings stories alive, and a whole new way to whole new audiences, and how his dedication to telling a story using all of the angles that he possibly could in terms of staging and character development and everything, so that people really really bought into bought into that story. That was interesting because I. I, I didn't think I would. I wouldn't necessarily have consciously thought of that, but I, he was the first person to pop to mind. And can you recommend any good books or websites or blogs or podcasts about storytelling, or perhaps um, present uh, presentations or presenting well uh, that we can look up? Yeah, there's there's loads of good places, but actually a really good place to go for storytelling advice. A, a friend and a good colleague of mine, a gentleman by the name of Jeremy Waite, uh, posted an article on LinkedIn uh, recently, uh, the 72 rules of storytelling. I think I've got the number right. Um, follow him. 
Uh, he also does a, a brilliant podcast called the 10 Word Podcast. But the what those rules do, it's like a good starting point, you know, where you can go off and go, oh, that's an interesting rule. I'll go off and, and, and I'll explore that. And that's a really good resource for in one place, somebody who tells stories for a living. You know, he was, he was an evangelist for the organization that he, he worked for. And he diligently researched, you know, storytelling and how to really make it make it work. And it's a really good article in terms of lots of places that people could go. Oh, that's great. I'll go and check that out some uh, some more looking at like, everything from speech writers to Chris Anderson's uh, top 10 rules for talking at TED. Uh, so lots of lots of great uh, resources uh, in, in there. Uh, TED is a great resource, you know, TED.com. Look at TED Talks because you know, the, all the top speakers are telling stories. So that, that's another uh, great resource. And uh, I come from a sales background. So of course, I'm going to say uh, I've got some free resources out there as well in my LinkedIn profile as well, in terms of how to tell great stories as well. So that brings me on to my last question for you. Uh, where can we find out more about you? So the platform that I publish most of my content, and certainly I've got a video on storytelling on my LinkedIn platform. So if you just search Martin Brooks uh, and the word impact, then you'll I should come top of that list. And I also tweet on my Twitter handle at impactologist. So the word impact and tologist. So there's two T's in the middle. Brilliant. Martin, it's been fantastic talking with you today. Really appreciate you taking the time out to share your knowledge and your expertise with us. Well, thank you very much. I've, I've enjoyed it. The time has flown by. I could have talked for some, for some more and thanks for the opportunity Paul and I hope that your viewers find real value in that to go out and tell better stories and be more commercially successful as a result thank you very much Martin Bye thank you thank you for joining us for this episode of all the world be sure to rate review and subscribe to the show and visit weareopusmedia.com for more resources based on today's topic as well as access to more episodes that will help you develop your storytelling abilities that's weareopusmedia.com. Thank you, and see you next time. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.